Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The presenting sponsor of The Audible, as always, is Trader Joe's. And Inside Trader Joe's is a five-part podcast series that takes you literally inside Trader Joe's. Go inside the TJ's tasting panel, travel to wineries in Napa Valley and around the world, discover the next great Trader Joe's products, discover why they wear those super fashionable Hawaiian shirts. You'll find Inside Trader Joe's on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to The Audible. I'm Stuart Mandel, joined as always by Bruce Feldman. And today, Bruce, we have a third member of The All-American. Would that be your daughter, Stu? I thought I just heard her in the background. She is making a bit of a cameo right now. But no, I'm speaking, of course, of the great Max Olson. Welcome to The Audible, Max. Hey, guys. Uh, Long-time listener, first-time caller. Appreciate you having me on. <laughs> Max, for those who don't know, is based in Austin, Texas, and covers a lot of of the Big 12 for us. I mean, he covers the whole country, but is especially plugged into the Big 12. And so, without like an obvious news peg to talk about this week, Bruce came up with a creative idea. I did. So, uh, there's a few things we'd like to talk to Max about. He had recently done an extensive profile of Will Greer, the West Virginia quarterback, and it was well done. And I think Will Greer is going to have a big season, especially that offense, with a lot of... You can check out Max's story for more detail on that. But... He's in the Heisman mix. How realistic is, is he as a Heisman contender? I mean, Major Harris made a good run at it probably 30 years ago, but you just don't see West Virginia as one of those schools that typically guys are in the Heisman running for. And so I have got the Heisman, uh, latest Heisman odds, and I wanted to talk to Stu and Max to see how viable some of these guys are. All, All right, right. Bring them on. Do it. All right. So... The first guy is an obvious one. It's near and dear to Stu's heart. It's actually near and dear to proximity-wise, too, is Bryce Love. Stanford decided to come back, and there's big expectations. He is right now, according to Bet Online, a 5-1, uh, to one, the favorite. You guys buying him at that price? I mean, I think you got to have him on the absolute short list, but history says it's really, really hard for him to, to do again what he did last year. He had a fantastic year last year. And he's going to be measured against that. How often have we seen somebody actually pull that off? I mean, Chris McCaffrey didn't have, he had a pretty good season the year after he, he was a Heisman runner up and it was like, he didn't even exist. I, I would be worried that especially with the tough schedule Stanford has early on that he will have a great season, but disappear from the Heisman conversation, at least as a, as a, as a truly serious candidate fairly quickly. Max, I thought when you yeah. said history says, I thought he was going to say, well, history says Stanford guys can finish second because that's what we've seen the run on, but obviously he went in a different direction. Fair point. You know, honestly, I think it's just the workload concern that I would have with, with, with putting any of my hard-earned money on Bryce Love winning the Heisman just because I think that there's just wear and tear that comes with, with having to do that for, you know, 12, 13 games, and 
I, I have no doubt he'll he'll stay in that conversation all year. And and you know, I think that what we saw last year, the way he broke into it, was really just those explosive explosive plays and and being that highlight reel kind of guy. And I'm sure there'll be a lot of that. But you know, can he hold up over the course of that season? And, and can Stanford uh, you know take care of him and not ask too much of him? I, I think that's kind of the key to whether he can stay in it. Can I frame it this way, guys? So Will Greer right now is one of four, five, one of five guys who are listed at twenty to one. The other ones are Kyler mm-hmm. Murray, J.K. Dobbins, Will Greer, Trace McSorley, Jalen Hurts. What I would ask you is, and I'll start with you, Stu. So we talked about Bryce Love. The next priciest guy is Jonathan Taylor, the Wisconsin running back, thirteen to two, and then you have ten to one uh, Jake Fromm and Tua Tagovailoa, and then you have. Khalil Tate, 14 to 1, Shea Patterson, the new Michigan quarterback, 16 to 1, and those 20 to 1 guys. Who do you think, Stu, would you say, okay, I think Will Greer has a much better shot than these guys? And who do you think probably is, is right where they need to be? Well, I think of the guys you just mentioned, the one that might be like, you know, I think Jonathan Taylor is going to have a great year, but like you said, expensive. But of the, the guys you mentioned, J.K. Dobbins intrigues me in that. There is no JT Barrett now for Ohio State. We saw what J.K. Dobbins can do last year. He's explosive. And he split the carries with Weber, and a lot of Ohio State fans wonder why they didn't give him the ball more. I do wonder if this year he takes on even more of a featured role for a team that most people expect to be in the playoff race. I'm going to follow off there. There's a guy who hasn't been mentioned, and he's a 33-1, to and he would be my sleeper Heisman guy right here, and that is Dwayne Haskins from the, the aforementioned Ohio State yeah. team. Experienced group of receivers, really strong arm guy. I think he has the chance. Whereas you look at, you know, say, Shea Patterson at 16-1, to I can make as, maybe as, every bit as strong a case, if not stronger, for Dwayne Haskins to be at that price. Max, where do you stand on kind of the Greer pool of guys and the not really sleepers, but in, in, you know, how real, how strong do you think he has a chance given, you know, you were there in the spring, you've seen the kind of firepower mm-hmm. he has around him. You also, you know, covered the big 12 for ESPN before you got to the athletic. What, what do you think is realistic for here for coming out of West Virginia? Well, I know this, I know West Virginia is going to go for it. Um, they're launching Will Greer's Heisman campaign on July 7th, which is, you know, seven, seven, he wears number seven and they're, they're, like they're really going to make this a thing. And, and I, I know from talking to Daniel Holgerson, he's really comfortable with that because, you know, Will Greer is a really mature kid, 24 years old, you know, married with a child. He's, he's not going to, it's not going to mess with his head at all to like really be putting himself forward in this conversation. And, you know, I think he has the people around him to be really successful. I think he has a big stage in week one against Tennessee and then another, you know, another big power five non-conference game a couple weeks later against NC state where, I think he'll, you know, potentially have a lot of eyeballs on him early on and has a chance, I, I think, to just put up monster numbers in a year when we don't really have a lot of great quarterbacks coming back. And, and I think that in being around him and talking to him and, and David Sills and, and Jake Spavadol as offensive coordinator, I know that they just have sky high expectations of what they can do. And, and they're, you know, they're talking about a big, their first Big 12 title. And, you know, they have really high aspirations this year. They feel like the Big 12 sets up really well for, for this to be the year for West Virginia to, to be in that mix. They've contended almost every year since joining the conference. And, you know, I think when you look at all the, the senior quarterbacks that are gone, you think about what, what West Virginia is bringing back, especially offensively. Like, I think they feel really good about his chances and, and are going to try and nick a run in it. And I think the big thing is just can he be more efficient? And he was a 49% passer on third down through 12 picks. Eight of them were, were trying to force big plays on deep balls. So, there's stuff he's got to clean up, and West Virginia needs to win for him to stay in it. 
Yeah, I mean, that that last point is exactly what I was going to bring up. I don't think you can talk about Will Greer's Heisman chances or really anybody else's Heisman chances without immediately linking it to, well, how good do we think the team will be? Because it's going to be very sure. hard in this era in this where it's all about the playoff. For somebody to win the Heisman that's not whose team is not in contention for the playoff late into the season. And I'm looking, I don't know if I have the exact same list as yours, Bruce, but one of the other 20 to one guys, I think you said his name, Trace McSorley, mm-hmm. you know, which team would you have more mm-hmm. confidence will be at the heart of that playoff discussion in mid to late November, Penn state or West Virginia? I'm inclined to say Penn state. Yeah, I know it's a great point, And I think we're probably not talking enough about Trace McSorley, McSorley in this Heisman conversation. Maybe it's because, there's just sort of perception, okay, you take away his offensive weapons around him and he's not going to be as effective. But, man, that, that dude's really good, and I think he's going to take it to another level. So I, I'm 20-1 to 1 seems almost a little low for him. Where do you guys think on, on my sleeper guy and Dwayne Haskins? It's always hard to say with a guy you haven't seen play much, if at all. I mean, we basically saw him for mm-hmm. about a quarter and a half against Michigan, but... You know, there's been some talk that Ohio State will be more of a passing team this season because the strength of the team could be the receivers. But here's a wild card for you guys. So I pulled up two different lists, yours, and then there's also Bovada. And mm-hmm. believe it or not, on mm-hmm. Bovada, the guy with the fourth best odds is Trevor Lawrence, who has quite literally never wow. played a college football game yet. <laughs> and and for all, and, and, and I may not be the starter. Yeah, may not be the starter. Be the starter. Now, well, I guess if you're making that bet, you're making a bet on something we've seen a lot in the Heisman recently, where it's almost better not to be the established entrenched guy. I mean, Baker Mayfield did it last year, high expectations, but whether it was Lamar Jackson or Jameis Winston or Johnny Manziel, like there has been a kind of trend among Heisman voters to go for the flavor, the, the new guy on the scene. So I could see where if Clemson has the kind of season we think they will, and if it's Trevor Lawrence, not Kelly Bryant at the helm, that everybody would fall in love with him. But man, to have him ahead of the likes of Justin Herbert, Will Greer, Jake Browning, Mackenzie Milton, seems like a stretch at this point. Hey, can, I, can I just say, like, I actually, I actually, if you, if you, if I had to pick one person today, I think I would say Tua, and and that's some another one that we haven't seen that much from. And I'm not trying to say I'm just like totally buying that that what he did against Georgia is what he's going to do every single you know half of every single game this season. But I just think the excitement that he engenders among people with his play, like I think people are going to be watching him extremely closely, especially if you know assuming he wins the job. I, I think that that guy being on national TV every week and people being so excited about what he does. Like, I think he's going to be in that conversation all the way through. Yeah. The obviously question mark is, will he be the starting quarterback? You know? Right. And right. again, 10 to one, if you're, and we're not encouraging necessarily people to go to Vegas and do this, but it's not that steep. If you believe in what you saw again, this is a, this is more than the Dwayne Haskins example. Cause it was, you know, Haskins was in their huge rivalry game. This was in the national mm-hmm. title game and, and pulling them out of a, a deeper hole. So there's something to be said for that. As I'm looking at this stuff, I wonder, you know, you could see like he'll take 14 to one. He was a he was a had a really big breakout year last year. I don't know if a guy from Arizona can, you know, like what you what Stu said before about Will Greer. I do think Will Greer mm-hmm. has, a, has a shot at it because I think they could win the Big 12. And if you can win the Big 12, 
he can win the Heisman. Depends on the year, but yeah. this is this is a year where it is not a skill guy's year coming in. Everybody's talking about D linemen, you know, whether they're talking about Ed Oliver or they're talking about the Clemson guys or they're talking about the Ohio State D line or Rashawn Gary. I mean, that's what everybody's buzzing about. They're not really talking about quarterbacks, and it's not to say that we won't see, you know, some guy here throw for five thousand yards or put up crazy, you know, have thirty-seven touchdowns and three picks or something like that. But you know, mm-hmm. we haven't mentioned Jared Stidham. He's a guy who could be, a, you know, if they, they knock off Alabama again or something. Who knows? I mean, he'll he'll get some, I think, draft buzz in addition. But I just think when you look at this, there's not a huge star power skill guys wise. And I think that could bode well for Royal Greer because we know he's going to probably put up huge numbers this year. Yeah, in talking to, to David Sills, he said, you know, we, we know Will's going to throw for 4,000 yards and, and we're all going to get basically a piece of that pie. So they, I mean, they're, they're counting on, on huge things from him. And if he stays healthy, I, I don't doubt he's going to do it. You were kind of uh, dismissive of Khalil Tate there, Bruce. That guy's un- incredible. And, mm-hmm. but it's a valid point. Can, you know, I, I think if Khalil Tate, who, by the way, I, I had forgotten about this, but I had an answer in the, or a question in the mailbag this week about Colorado. And so I was looking up some stuff from last season. Do you remember that Khalil Tate's first, real game where he came in off the bench he ran for 327 yards against Colorado like he came out of nowhere but the stuff he was doing is unbelievable well, and I think if he had been doing it at say Texas A&M or but he's not yeah I mean the, the thing is too I remember the reason why I got so familiar with his numbers in part was because we you and I would talk on our podcast a bunch about Bryce Love's yard per carry and Khalil Tate came in and just blew that out of the water. He was averaging like 15 yards a carry, not 10. And he was a quarterback and everything else. But, you know, my larger point on this is it's not just, you know, to echo kind of what you said about in regards to Will Greer, you need to be in the playoff mix. You know, I think Arizona has a decent shot to win the Pac-12 South. And I don't think they would beat Washington or whoever to win it all. But I think it's not only do you have to win – to be in the playoff hunt, I think it's super. It's twice as hard if you're on the West Coast, especially at a school that's not a traditional glamour school. And Arizona, to me, is a is a, a such an uphill climb. It's even more of an uphill climb than West Virginia because of the time zone and when a lot of voters are going to be like, "Wait, which school's he at? Is he at Arizona State? Is he at Arizona?" They don't even know that for a lot of the voters because they're just you know at least Will Greer in West Virginia. You know, you have some of the people in the South who will remember Will Greer came in as, you know, he had a nice little start to his career at Florida. There's some backstory to it. He's been around for a while. I just don't think, to me, it can happen, but it's so much more of a long shot to do it at Arizona than, than West Virginia. Well, I think you think back to Kevin Sumlin's Heisman Trophy winner in 2012. I mean, Johnny Manziel was not in the national title hunt, but do you guys remember who the finalists were that year with him? Manti Teo and Colin Klein. Very good. Very good. So, you know, you have to have kind of a down year like that in order for someone who's not in that 10, 11 win playoff hunt to actually do it. So I, I, we just haven't seen very many of those over the years. Can, uh, can Stu, can you guys indulge me on this? I'm going to rattle off some names and you just tell me <laughs> no shot or dark horse or I'd buy, I, I, I give a, a real decent shot. Okay, I'm going to go through the names. You just tell me. And these are long. These are guys 25 to one or more. Both both agree. Jarrett Stidham, decent shot. Yes, mm-hmm. I think Auburn having just done that state of the program story could be really really good. All right, 
Cam Akers, Florida State running back. No shot. Not great. Not great. All right, I'm going to say outside shot. Rodney Anderson, Oklahoma running back. Outside He's shot. shot, but I think outside shot. I think I, I think you can make an argument that Kyler Murray has just as good a chance as, as Will Greer. I, honestly, Anderson came on really strong in Big Twelve play last year, but I, I'd be surprised if he was that guy. In Max's backyard, Sam Ellinger. Hmm. Pretty 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 poor chance of that. I think. I'm excited to see what you can do, but but I don't think going from where he was last year to Heisman winners in the cards. So Sue says, right? I think as a true sophomore, that's a that's a big leap to take. AJ Dillon, Boston College running back. That's a that's a great question. He's really good, (laughs) but as you know, that's like the Arizona of the East where nobody watches them. I'm going to say somewhere between outside and decent. You just don't want to be quoted as no shot, uh, like by by somebody in the media. Our old takes exposed in December is just going to yeah. kill us for this, right? Yeah, I think. I mean, just like with Andre Williams, like you got to go out and run for two thousand or something like that to to be in the mix, then, right? Yeah, and Kelly maybe Bryant. knock off a Clemson or um, I don't know. I, I don't have BC schedule in front of me. Knock off somebody, uh, one of the better teams in that conference. And Kelly sure. Bryant, sure. Of yeah. The aforementioned Clemson Tigers. No shot. Mm. Outside shot probably should be higher on this list. Okay. Wow. There's our first real disagreement. Justin Herbert, or Oregon quarterback. Great shot. Great, yeah, shot. great shot. Really? Wow. Okay. I mean, the hype is there. People know about him. And Oregon is a team that we've talked about on here before. We think can take a big jump this year in part because of a favorable schedule. So, yeah, yeah great shot. DeAndre you Francois. Also got kind of. Well, with Herbert, you got the NFL factor too, right? Where like <laughs> the NFL scouts are evidently not very excited about this next quarterback crop, but I think Herbert's a guy that could rally a lot of people I, being excited I would about his first round. Yeah, DeAndre Francois. Are we sure he's going to start? No, we're not. We're not. No shot. Yeah, no shot. Yeah, I'm kind of with you on that one. DeAndre Swift, the Georgia running back. Ooh. So is there? What are the categories we have here? No shot, we outside have, shot, decent shot. Yeah, decent shot, decent shot. Yeah, I'm he's a highlight guys. kind of player on a team that everybody's gonna be watching. Mackenzie Milton, UCF quarterback. I think Mackenzie Milton has a great shot of getting invited to New York, but for a group of five guy to actually win the Heisman, I think they would probably have to go undefeated again. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I I think it's I'm I'm really interested to see if Josh Heupel can get him to play at that same level and even better this year. I think it's possible, but but Stu's right. It's going to take real real national prominence all year long to get there. Yeah. I, hey, I'm, let me follow that up with something. I see Ed Oliver's name on these lists. We didn't get to him yet. Oh, okay. Go ahead. Okay. Drew Locke, Missouri. No shot. His offensive coordinator, Derek Dooley. Ooh, <laughs> decent shot, but you got to you have to be really statistically ridiculous. Yeah, I'm gonna agree with Stu. I just think the Dooley factor for me. Also, I think he would have to put out outrageous numbers. I mean, we're talking about all this stuff about Arizona and mm-hmm. and AJ Dillon. I mean, what is he gonna have to throw for? He's gonna have to have like a 55 to one TD to interception ratio to come out. You know, I just I just not seeing it. Brandon Wimbush, Notre Dame quarterback. Is there something less than no shot? 
well. He's okay. actually mentioned on I'm there? not going to be quite that harsh, but I would say, yeah, not a great shot. I heard uh, Brandon Wimbush had a really, really good spring. Relationship with his offensive coordinator is really developed. That's a positive. Mm-hmm. He's talented. He's got some ability. I wouldn't say he has no shot. He's a quarterback in Notre Dame. Well, what's his best? So let's say he does have a great, great improvement this year. Where does that put him? Because I think he was like a 46% passer last year. You know, I mean, if if his confidence is is strong, I mean, he's got a live arm. I mean, he's got a lot of juice in his arm. He's athletic. You know, I don't know. I mean, what stats could you realistically see him putting up in his best case scenario? I don't know if he throws for between twenty five hundred and three thousand yards and throws twenty touchdowns and maybe rushes for six hundred yards. And Notre Dame is a top ten team. It's friggin' Notre Dame. I don't think you can say mm-hmm. absolutely no shot. If he does that, I mean, they could have a really successful season, but, you know, he'd be going against other quarterbacks. Like, Khalil Tate might reach those numbers in the first six games of the season. I think he is the most physically talented quarterback Notre Dame has had since Brady. Now, that's not saying all that much, but... Bruce is going to die on the hill that is Brandon Wimbush future star. He really is. I, I feel like we're I feel like we're gonna get a lot of tweets for this episode with <laughs> shredding some of these Heisman chances before they've even begun. Another this is a good player, but I don't know. Let's I'm curious to hear what you guys think of Nick Fitzgerald. New he's coming off injury, horrific injury that it was, and now he's got Joe Moorhead who seems to suit you would think what he does well. You guys liking it? I go outside I think he shot. Can win like yeah. SEC Offensive Player of the Year. You know what I mean? Yeah. And yeah. I guess if you can do that, then that makes you a dark horse guy in this for sure. Yeah, I mean, when you look at this, you know, some of the things, and I think this is worth bringing up. And Stu, Stu kind of mentioned it when it came to Mackenzie Milton and getting invited to the Heisman, where you're a legit candidate. You may not be able to win it, but you know, who is that guy who gets the SEC votes? You know, who would the guy be who gets that part of the country's votes if there's no Lamar Jackson, or there's no Deshaun Watson, or you know, coming out of ACC country, and I don't know who 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 generates a lot of that buzz. So maybe it would, maybe Nick Fitzgerald. I mean, it could be the two Alabama quarterbacks, certainly, or it could be what you know, whether it's Jake Fromm or Swift at Georgia. But I think those things are worth considering. Jake Brown in Washington, he's been, he's put up big stats before, and he's on a really good team. Stu, decent shot. Just because of what you just said, like he'll put up stats and Washington, we think, will be a playoff contender. I'm interested to see if Miles Gaskin steals some of his thunder this year. But yeah, decent shot. I'm not sure he's the best quarterback on his own team, but I'd give him a decent shot. Well, unfortunately, the guy you're talking about can't play this year. (laughs) That is true. That is true. And maybe that'll push him. I don't know. Mm. I would give him an outside, outside shot. I don't know. You know, new group of receivers. We'll see what steps up. I do think they're going to be really good, but I think it, you know, kind of gets into what Stu was talking about a little bit with Miles Gaskin, and also I just even as good as they are, I wonder how much spotlight Jake Browning's going to get. I here's feel like my, a lot of people have written off, written him off, for you know, to some degree. Well, here's my thing with Jake Browning, and I, this is going to sound. I mean, you got you already thought I was too harsh on Brandon Wimbush, so I'll, I'll measure my words here. But I've never seen. Correct me if I'm wrong, I've never seen Jake Browning have a huge game in a big game. You know, he seems to put up the big numbers against the lesser opponents, and then when they, whether it was the Pac-12 championship game two years ago, or the Stanford game last year, obviously the Alabama bowl game, or playoff game, 
even the bowl game last year against Penn State. Like, what is Jake Browning's signature performance to this point? You know, if you go, you'd have to go back. I think to the year they played, they went to the playoff, and I, everybody had said there close to the program that he was kind of banged up, and his arm was was really worn down at that point. But early in the year, I thought he did have some pretty strong games. You know, it's like they crushed Stanford. It was on a Friday night game. Now, the game was a blowout, but he was really good. I mean, completed over 70% of his passes, three touchdowns, zero picks. I mean, you can't really fault him for, for that. I mean, then they follow that up, and it's six touchdowns, zero picks against. You know, granted, Oregon was starting to fall apart at that point. But, I mean, I would give him credit for the for how they handled Stanford. I mean, that was... You know that was a significant matchup. It was it was a top ten game. He played really well, so I would give him that. The the, the person I want to I have a comparison to with him is Ken Dorsey. Uh, whereas he put up really good numbers early in his career, people knew he didn't have a big, huge arm. They knew he was a cerebral guy who people in the program really liked, but outside of the program, I think there was a little bit of skepticism. Uh, of him and I feel like that's where it is a little bit with Jake Browning where people know he's a good college quarterback but I don't think they're going to give him much of the benefit of the doubt quick question Max are you old enough to have seen Ken Dorsey play football how dare you yes I am <laughs> <laughs> although that's pretty much like we're getting close to the starting point there like yeah, 2000, yeah. 2001 yeah. No, that was an apt comparison I think three more guys one I really want Max's opinion on more than the others KJ Costello, okay. another Stanford guy. Stu, you see him a lot. You, you, what, what is he going to push past Bryce Love? No, no. I mean, I think the only scenario there would be if Bryce Love got hurt and KJ Costello had to lead the offense. No, mm-hmm. I give no shot by the way there. Agreed. Uh, okay, Ed Oliver, Texas. I'm sorry, Houston. I bet Texas wishes he was. <laughs> <Texas>. <laughs> Nobody has covered uh, Ed Oliver more closely than Max, so I will cede the floor here. Ed Oliver has a great chance to go to New York, and I think it is all of our responsibility as college football reporters to watch him very closely this year, and if he is as dominant as I think he's going to be, we need to be talking about it every week, and, and he needs to be in New York. I think just from being around that guy this spring and visiting Houston, like the work he is putting in right now um, – to, to be even better as a junior um, is it, kind of insane. And, and I think that, uh, I, you know, in talking to a lot of people who've had to go against him, um, there's just really no way to stop him. There's really no way to stop him. And, and I think that as long as he's healthy and he got a little dinged up last year and that slowed him down for a couple of games and he saw more dirty blocks at his knees and stuff like that last year, which uh, is a tough thing that he's got to figure out a way to try and avoid. But, you know, if he goes out and, and blows people up, like I think he will. Yeah. That guy's going to New York. Before before I get to you, Stu, on this one, I wanted to bring this up. So going into uh, Jadavian Clowney's last year at, at South Carolina was you know going to be his third year. I remember we talked about at CBS possibly doing something every week called Clowney Watch, where you would <laughs> where you would try to basically chart everything he did. And within not too long, within the you know after the first game, you kind of realize, all right, this is going to be it's kind of a futile effort. Or whatever, because at times there seemed like there was a futile effort from him, and I thought about that in regard to Daniel Jeremiah, who we've had on this podcast a lot, old NFL scout. The thing he talked about was in his breakdown a couple of weeks ago was Ed Oliver plays harder than just about anybody he's ever seen. Like he just 
I'm going to read this. Biggest takeaway. I think every defensive line coach in the country should make a cut-up tape highlighting the effort from Oliver. He never quits on a play, ever. It's a great mm-hmm. lesson for every player at the position. He chases plays 30, 40 yards down the field, and then he lines up and goes 100 miles per hour on the very next play. Stu, do you think he has no shot? Even I mean, getting to New York, is that all? No, I think he has a shot because everybody knows who he is now. He's going to get talked about a lot. The problem is the conference he plays in. So, you know, there's a, as we've talked about here before, a great early season non-conference opportunity for both Khalil Tate and Ed Oliver to showcase themselves in that week two game on ABC. But, you know, eventually mm-hmm. Houston's going to be playing a bunch of American conference teams and nobody's going to be watching. That That's really the problem for guys like that. You know, you're going to, you're going to have, we have writers breathlessly talking about him and showing highlights, but, you know, you get into November, people are going to be watching Ohio State, Wisconsin, Alabama, Clemson, Georgia. They're not going to be watching Houston. Well, it's also going to be how people game plan against him. How many TFLs would he need for him to win the Heisman? 30? Uh, what's I don't know. Yeah, what's like the modern high? I don't even know. I mean, if you get in, if you get over twenty-five, that's a that's a pretty outrageous number. But we've seen right. guys get in those. But that's also which, like that's two a game. Like that, that doesn't sound that bad, right? No, it doesn't. You're right. Sutton Smith from NIU last year had twenty-nine and a half tackles for loss, and obviously he was never mentioned, you know, as anything remotely close to a Heisman candidate. Let's so see. sure, like there, there's. As we talked about with Luger and a bunch of these guys, like there is a win component to that. But like Houston does have to, I would think, contend for for their conference title and and potentially, you know, a, a major bowl for him to kind of stay in that conversation. I you know you look at their conference and I'm not sure there's one team that everybody's terrified of. It seems like kind of a wide open year. But no, you're right. I mean, there, there there's a big part of that that Houston has to stay relevant, and um, you know his performance has to be a big part of that. Well, in the uh, the guys who put up the outrageous TFL numbers, George Selvey, USF, never had a chance at the Heisman. Scooby Wright, Arizona, put up outrageous stats, never had a shot at it. The one he's most compared to, who who put up big numbers, also in this regard, is is Aaron Donald. Mm-hmm. Now, mm-hmm. Ed has way more hype going into the year than those guys. Also, I think what can help him a little bit, and I don't think it's because. Maybe I get a skewed sense of it because we all have this Twitter Twitter echo chamber. But I do feel like a lot of people who look at line play could end up like posting clips of Ed Oliver, and that could help generate some momentum. I just don't know. The Heisman electorate is kind of a dim group as a whole. Well, and here's the other sure of that. here's the <laughs> other problem. Yeah, as you know, as we've talked about, it's an insane year for defensive linemen in college football. Matt Hinton recently put up his like top 100 players in the country this year, and eight of the top 10 were defensive linemen. So even if the NFL scouts, you know, that that community is like screaming to the rooftops, no, 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 he's definitely the best one, you're still going to have a contingent where, well, if you're talking about him, why aren't you talking about Rashawn Gary? Or why aren't you talking about Christian Wilkins? Or, Bosa. you know, Aunt Bosa, yeah. any number of, like, they're all going to be getting... Attention. What happens if his personal stat line just blows those other guys away, though? That would definitely help. You know, it's funny. I, I talked with Major Apple about the, the spring. Like he said that in a way, Ed Oliver is the guy that has the most room to improve of everyone on the defense because what they saw last year after he was just a monster as a freshman is like 
he went in kind of trying to make big plays, and a lot of times he would kind of stray from what they were asking him to do on defense. Like, he batted down a lot of balls as a freshman, and so there'd be times last season where he'd go up and try and knock knock stuff down and, and quarterback go around him and make a play. So he kind of, you know, he can't be chasing those stats, too. Like, that's something he kind of tried to do a little bit too much last year. And, I mean, the the, the Daniel Jeremiah uh, evaluation of him is, is so spot on, and that's the thing you hear all the time is he never gives up on a play. But, you know, it, it's going to take some discipline by him to not – because, you know, not thinking, okay, I need 15 sacks to be in this, so let's go get it. The last guy on the list with, with respect to is Travis Etienne, the running back, sophomore running back from Clemson. The guy who just didn't hardly ever get talked about last year, even though he was this highlight play running back for the number one team in the country. Uh, decent shot, you know. It just depends on how, much, how often are they going to give him the ball this year. He was They were very right. yeah. limited in how they used him last year, probably because they didn't trust him as a blocker. So, obviously, to, to be in contention for the Heisman, he's going to have to become a 20-25 carry guy. Yeah, he's, he's a never-done guy yet. But if he, you know, if he becomes that this season, he'll be talked about a lot. All right, Max, before you go, uh, one last non-Heisman question. You recently did the Texas Tech State of the Program story for The Athletic. Give me a quick yes or no here. Cliff, Cliff Kingsbury, does he still have a job in 2019? Ooh, I think he does. You know, the, it, it was a really close call last year, though. It really was. And I think he senses that, you know, Kirby Hoke had ultimately stood by Kingsbury. I, you know, I think that they have a lot. You know, look, they, they don't want to break up with Cliff Kingsbury. He's, he's done things the right way. He loves Texas Tech. It's his alma mater. He's, you know, busting his butt to get this thing fixed. And, and I don't think that there was some great alternative sitting out there this off season that, that they thought would, would, you know, be able to step in and take Texas tech to that next level. So Cliff Kingsbury got another year. I think they're going to be better for sure. Their defense is finally not atrocious. It's, mm-hmm. it's actually going to be one of the better defenses in the big 12. I think just based on what they have coming back and, and the confidence they have now in a fourth year under David Gibbs. And, you know, the one question mark is the quarterback position, which is something that Cliff Kingsbury has always gotten right. So I think that's either going to be Jed Duffy or, or a true freshman Alan Bowman, probably. I think the, I think it's down to those two when this thing really gets going in fall camp. And I, I think they have a chance that they have the pieces to go out and surprise a lot of people this year and, and, you know, buy him some more time. But, you know, what is that going to take? I think it probably takes maybe eight wins or something like that to, to and, and really winning some big games and, and showing that they've, they've made some serious progress because he's a couple games under 500 at this point. And, uh, you know, I think more of the same will probably lead to a change. Hey, Max, just quick for me, who do you have more confidence mm-hmm. in the eight, eight wins this year, Texas Tech or Texas? Hmm, I would probably say Texas, but I, I have not uh, I have not been drinking the Kool-Aid on, on the Longhorns this offseason. I just, I, I, I'm not even really ready to say that that's like a top 20 team. I, I think they're still probably a year away from where, where they're going to be, you know, where they're actually contending for Big 12 titles. And I think some of the pieces they have to replace on defense are, are really important. It's going to take some time to get that right. So I think they can go out and win eight, but I'm not, I'm not buying that Texas is a nine or 10 win team yet. That's ready to go actually compete with OU for a big 12 title. Plus they have to replace the world's greatest punter of all time. too. So world's greatest punter, Michael Dixon, you know, and they brought in his cousin from Australia to replace him. And, and it, you know, he looked okay in the spring game, but uh, that's, <laughs> it's, it's crazy. What, what an advantage Michael Dixon provided for a team that was, just really average on offense last year. All right, Max. Thanks for taking the time. All right. Appreciate it, guys. All right. See you, Max. Let's get to some emails, Bruce. As always, you can send your emails to theaudiblepod at gmail.com. First one concerns a story that's been in the news a little bit recently. A guy 
that you co-authored a book with has been making some headlines for some dubious reasons. PJ Kendall in Tampa says, as soon as Mike Leach didn't get the Tennessee job, Washington State's president, they didn't have an AD at the time, pulled what many Wazoo fans believed to be a panic move and signed Leach to a new contract, despite the fact he had nowhere else to go and thus had zero leverage. Given that he seems to be poisoning the well on his own when it comes to future hiring prospects, was Washington State bidding against itself? Yeah, it's a really, you know, curious dynamic there on Pullman with everything that has gone on there. You start with, you know, the horrific tragedy with Tyler Holinsky. And so you have a program that is understandably reeling from that. On top of that, you've had basically almost an entire like staff change, with the exception of Leach and a couple of assistants. A bunch of guys on the staff, including the strength coach, Alex Grinch, a defensive coordinator, you know, Clay McGuire, his longtime O-line coach, Jim Master. These are like original guys on Leach's staff, all left. Keep in mind, you had Bill Moose, who was the guy who hired Leach, the AD. He's now in Nebraska. He's probably the best AD Leach ever had. A year before that, Elson Floyd, who Leach had a ton of respect for, who was the head of the school, he had a long illness and he passed away. So you had all kinds of just transition there that you're going through. And then you had, as I think we talked about this probably a month or two ago, Leach's not-so-subtle dealings with John Curry in that Tennessee mess of their search process, and that became very public. So, I, you know, I don't know where any of this is going to head. I mean, but I'll say that, you know, they, they did a deal with Leach. You know, Leach on the field has won. He turned that program, which was a complete, you know, disaster, into one that has been around the top 25 the last couple of years and came down to the Apple Cup with a chance to go play for the Pac-12 title. So, you know, you can see why they supported him financially and made a commitment, especially given to all the uncertainty around him. But as the the emailer says, I mean, I don't know where Mike Leach was going to go if they, you know, in terms of from a leverage standpoint, but I just think that they looked at it and go, okay, are we reward, rewarding a guy who took this program and really turned it back into a, into a winner? It's got to be so... Such an awkward position to be in if you're a Washington State fan. I mean, you remember how bad they were for many years before he got there. I mean, it was... Yeah, nine wins in the previous four years before he showed so up. So you've got to be feeling really thankful that you're back to a place where you're winning eight, nine games a year. On the other hand, like you said, like there, you saw just how openly he was... I mean, he was ready to go Tennessee. <laughs> His bags were packed. And, you know, it's it's... You know, I know that like a lot of schools, you you have a hot coach, you get used to the, you know, the the rumors every year. But in that case, you actually got to see the I forget if it was DM it was DMs, right? So mm-hmm. where they were going to meet at the bar and all that. So yeah, that's got to be. I, I'd be fascinated to know what the approval rating is these days in Pullman for Coach Leach. This is a question. Interesting timing here. I um actually was having a conversation with somebody about this exact topic recently. This is from Raul Rodriguez. It's only June, but a few months before Dan Mullen coaches his first game as Florida coach, and Florida fans are already questioning his prowess on the recruiting trail. The Gators currently sit at number 27 in the 247 rankings and number 10 out of 14 in the SEC. Meanwhile, our rivals continue to recruit at a high level, and Mississippi State is now enjoying unprecedented success in recruiting. Mississippi State fans and B-Riders have warned us that Mullen will underwhelm in recruiting relative to our expectations, and he cites a tweet 
from ESPN Radio host in Mississippi, Jake Wimberly, who says, most people, this is from June 22nd, most people, high school coaches as well, in Mississippi will tell you the staff he took to Florida from Mississippi State are not good recruiters. This is not a shock on Mullen to see Gator recruiting numbers drop. I'm concerned. Are you concerned? I'm not that concerned. I mean, it's he just got there. I think we'll see what the results on the field were. He got talent at Mississippi State. You know, some of those, look, some of those five-star, four- and five-star guys, whether it was Chris Jones or, you know, some of those other guys he brought in, they were just, you know, they were hustling just, you know, as as hard as some of those other schools in the SEC West to go get players. So he was able to do that to some degree. I don't know. I I think what's very going to be very intriguing here is what we've seen with these Florida coaches. And McElwain was just kind of a weird one the way it unfolded because he he got him to the SEC title game a couple of years ago, and then there was just it was kind of imploded in a hurry. But it was either great hire or bad hire. And where is Dan Mullen going to be in this? Because, you know, the expectations, he wins eight games at, you know, a year at, uh, in Gainesville, he's not going to be there that long. So he's, uh, he, the expectations are much different in Gainesville than they certainly are in Starkville. But I think you got to give him, you know, a lot of time to see a decent amount of time, especially judging him off the early recruiting rankings, I just think is, is, is kind of foolish at this point. Well, and by the way, those numbers were a little out of date. Florida right now, 32nd in the recruiting rankings. Now, they have only have 10 commitments, whereas uh, the teams up at the top have anywhere from... 15 to 18. Yeah, yeah, Alabama 16, A&M 18, LSU 18, Clemson 18, etc. But the reason I said I'm concerned is this is the time when you're supposed to be dominating recruiting. New coach, undefeated, excitement level extremely high. You know, there's a reason Jimbo Fisher has the number two class in the country right now. Florida State with Willie Taggart is 12th. Like, if you're not going to get a really highly ranked recruiting class now, you're probably not going to suddenly jump up the rankings in the following years now. Like you said, it's early. We'll see how he closes the class. But it is an interesting situation when that I have a lot of confidence in Dan Mullen as a football coach, as especially as a quarterback coach. But in terms of recruiting... He's going against Willie Taggart, who we know is an excellent recruiter. His school is a rival in the division of Georgia and Kirby Smart, who is a recruiting machine. It's a tough situation he's in. Yeah, I mean, also, again, you're in kind of the deep end of the pool now just because the expectations are so high. But also, not just are the expectations high, where you're recruiting now, as you mentioned, like Kirby Smart in Georgia had a great class last year. But also, you have Willie Taggart's staff is loaded with Florida recruiters. I mean, they are significantly higher in the rankings. I also would look at Miami. Mark Rick's staff is actually recruited pretty well. Yep. It's not like, you know, so, and they do have some momentum. And I think even when you see, you know, this kind of goes to your point just a minute ago, we're seeing how the new staff at Tennessee seems to be getting some momentum. I think South Carolina has some momentum. So, you know, where is he going to be on this? We'll see. I mean, they've, they've got to, uh, they've really got to ramp it up, obviously. But, you know, there's still plenty of time. And I would, before they, you know, push your panic button, I would give him, you know, even if he signs a class that's ranked, you know, 25th or 26th, I think that would give you pause. But I still think you got to, like, wait and see what he does on the field for the first, you know, at least three years. By the way, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that at the end of his email, 
Raul said, I love the pod and let Trader Joe's know that your pod is the reason I now shop there. That is awesome. That is awesome. I hope our friends at Trader Joe's heard that part. Real quick, Bruce, I feel like every week one of us is getting called out for something now, whether it was me saying something condescending about the staff or your pronunciation of Appalachian State. Yes. Uh, today, Lewis Chilton from Pasadena, California says, Hey, Stuart, can you please get control of your staff? You and Bruce got a needed lesson in properly pronouncing Appalachian, but as a California resident, I don't know why you tolerate Bruce constantly pronouncing Nevada as Nevada like an East Coaster. Crack the whip and make him say Nevada. Nevada. Okay. You know, that's, he's probably right. I don't know where I picked that up, and I'm sure it's something that I've kind of butchered for for 30 plus years yeah so. i think that's a pretty common mistake i don't even frankly know how often i get it right maybe if you've spent your whole life in california it's just second nature to you but if I mean, both of us have come from the east coast the one i will never make the mistake of and absolutely cringe when i hear it is oregon you used to say that no i've never said it but i've heard i want to say i've been watching Oregon football games and heard the announcer say Oregon. It's just so grating. Well, I apologize. So it also I, took I me until after his college career ended to start saying Mariota right. So you know what a name that names that I've always noticed you've had a hard time with anything that has kind of a Nigerian uh, Tonga Vailoa. No Nigerian, not oh. Polynesian. Uh, I, I've been so afraid to mispronounce Tua's name that may actually be the first time I've said it on the podcast. How do you pronounce the? five-star defensive lineman that Ole Miss signed out of Georgia like five years ago? Robert. <laughs> I did always choke on that one. Robert Kemdiche? Yeah, well, you call him M- you call him Mdiche? I did at that time. I think I know it now, but why? Who else are you thinking of? I thought there was a couple others that I was like, wow, he's... He, I mean, he there's guys these. every year that play for Utah that I don't even try to pronounce. Like, it would just be... It would be a, a futile effort, but... I think I'm going to have it to be saying Tonga Vailoa for a while now. So well, it's, it's better funny, get that when right. You, when you do games on Friday, you know, after your meeting with the coaches, the SID will come in and he will go through, you know, in our case with Joe Davis, our play-by-play guy. And Joe has already had these names kind of memorized. But I'm like, I'm writing them down just because I always think and it just, you know, somebody may get injured or there may be some kind of report where I'm going to have to, say it and i remember there's a handful of names that stick out to me you know where you just kind of rehearse them and rehearse them and you feel like you're going to get them right and then just when the moment comes you're going you're going fast and, and all of a sudden you you slip into you know where you were before well you overthink it like the moment comes and then you're like oh god i hope i don't choke and then uh and then sometimes when that happens you do and there's and there's guys like that, that you know obviously there's you know utah arizona state oregon state they had you know like 30 names that you need pronunciation guys where some some are probably like you know six ten you know 15 but it it's it can be almost anything and you're like oh i thought i knew how to say that and then all of a sudden you go on tv and you don't so just like i botched just like i botched what is it nevada nevada nevada, nevada. appalachian state uh any others we need to what be was, aware of what was i saying appalachian state what was appalachian I okay if i said it i said it so. yeah we are going to take next week. Fourth of July falls on a Wednesday. You guys are all going to be at the beach, so we're going to take the week off too, at least from the podcast. So, no podcast next week. Back the following week. Before you know it, it'll be conference media days. 
Thanks as always for listening. We'll see you next time. If you enjoy our podcast and you haven't subscribed yet, what are you waiting for? Subscribe to The Audible on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, wherever you get your podcasts. Leave a five-star review while you're there. We'd like to thank our presenting sponsor for 2018, Trader Joe's. We'd also like to thank our producer, Nick Fink. Our theme song is Dangerous by Kevin and the Octaves. You can download their music on iTunes or Spotify. You can subscribe to my college football website, The All-American, by going to theathletic.com slash theaudible, where you get a 25% discount and a seven-day free trial. Follow Bruce at Bruce Feldman CFB on Twitter. You can follow me at SL Mandel. See you next time. We'll talk about it for years.